0: The book of Luke, the second chapter, and uh, I'm probably just going to hang around here for the next couple of weeks and uh, talk to you about some different things. I woke up real early this morning. I'm talking about it was super early. I was infringing on the Chinese people's time with God. It was the wrong time of day to be up, and I was like, Lord, it's Sunday morning, and I feel it. I know I know that it's, it's Sunday because I can feel that. But somebody in this house that's here right now needs to make a decision in your life today. I'm talking about w- without delay. I'm not talking about waiting till Sunday night, coming back and getting round two tonight. I mean, there's somebody here right now that's listening to me talk to you that today you need to make a decision That you're going to serve the Lord and you're never turning back. That is the hope that every preacher, every pastor holds to. Is that maybe this will be the service. This will be the sermon. This will be the one. And that's why I take it so seriously today in my heart. Somebody in this room right now needs to make a decision before I'm finished preaching. That I'm going to walk with God and I'm never turning back. Amen. I want the Lord to help us today. Luke chapter 2, I'm going to preach to you so simple that we could teach this in any kindergarten Sunday school class in the world, but the Lord's going to help us. So we understand according to Luke, the second chapter, that the decree has gone out from Caesar Augustus, that there is a tax that's going to be happening. And I want us to just begin at verse number 6 as Joseph and Mary are on their way uh, to Bethlehem where his lineage and household was connected to David. It, it, uh, so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. Verse 7, and she brought forth her firstborn son. There's a reason why the scripture says everything. And this is not just for the redundancy of, of saying the same thing over and over There's a reason why it said he was her firstborn son. You know that there are religious seminaries and universities that are trying to teach and reestablish that Mary was not a virgin. They're trying to take away everything that was powerful about it. That this was, he was not conceived of by the Holy Ghost. That she had had other children. This was her firstborn because she had never known a man. You got to learn to take the word at face value. The word is what it is. And our society is slowly trying to dismantle piece by piece the theology that we hold so dear to our hearts. I'm going to tell you, Jesus did not just come as the seed of David. He is the root and the offspring of David. Because his mother, his mother was the only fleshly side of him that there was. That which was conceived in her was of the Spirit of God. And I'm glad to tell you that he was her firstborn child. If you believe that, say amen. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger This is where I want to draw our text from today, because there was no room for them in the inn. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room. There was no room. Um, I have an interesting way, if you have sat under my ministry or been around me for very long at all, you know I have an interesting way of looking at the scripture and sometimes when the scripture's talking to me, I want to talk back to it. And I interject myself in the story. And sometimes I find myself wanting to yell at characters in the scripture. You know what I'm saying? And, and I found myself here standing at the doorstep of this home. When Joseph knocks on the door. And someone comes to the door and, sh- and Mary's standing there holding her stomach. And there's a man standing there at the door. And Joseph says to the man, sir, do you have anywhere for my family and I to stay? My wife is about to have a child. And as the man goes to close the door and say, sorry, sir, I have sympathy for you, but there is no room in this house. I want to scream out loud, sir, if only you knew. What was standing on the steps of your home right now, if only you knew, you would do whatever you had to do to make room. <laughs> I'm just going to preach to you today, if only you knew. If only you knew, and you may be seated in Jesus' name. Now, I'm going to walk you back through this for, the, for, for simple understanding today. I want this to be crystal clear to you exactly what's transpiring in this scripture. Mary has been visited by an angel from heaven. And the angel says to her, you're going to have a child. And that child that's conceived in you is of the spirit of God. Of the Holy Ghost. Mary, you're going to have a baby. And I told you. The other night, you got to carry the baby. It doesn't matter how disappointed it feels. It doesn't matter who points fingers at you. You've got to do the will of God. Somebody say, carry the baby. God is calling His church right now to a place that the things He's going to start requesting of us and doing in us are so big that our first response is going to be, but God, that is impossible. There's no way that you could use my life to do that. There's no way that you could use this church to do that. There's no way that you could use my family to do that. Hey, I want to tell you, I've been praying to God that God would start waking you up at night with dreams that are so big that it scares you to a prayer room. I'm tired of the devil lying to us and making us feel like we're second class citizens. We are children of the most high God. Hey, I'm not just here to preach about entire revival, I'm here to tell you that God is going to use you to make it happen. If you think I'm going to stand off in the distance and watch everybody else have revival, you've lost your mind. I'm going to get right in the middle of what God's doing. I've been telling God that if you're going to do it, I want to see it. If you're going to do it, I want to be in the middle of it. If you're going to raise up a church, I want to be in it. I don't care about siding with politicians. I don't care about siding with Washington. I don't care about siding with school boards. I'm going to stand with Jesus. And I'm going to have revival. And I'm going to see his kingdom come. And I'm going to see his will be done in earth. As it is in heaven. Folks, I know this probably does not sound popular. But I want you to understand when I tell you this. There's going to come a time in your life. And this is not popular. But you just listen to me. It's scriptural. There's going to come a time in your life. That the laws of God and the convictions in your heart are eventually going to contradict the laws of the land that you live in. It's going to happen. We got bills going right now. Going to be signed on the desk of the President of the United States. Passing through the House. Passing through the Senate. That they're trying to make things legal that your Bible says shouldn't happen. And you're going to have sympathy and let the enemy play with your heartstrings and make you feel sympathetic towards sin. But I want to tell you what happens if you're not careful. If you're not careful, you're going to start sliding into places where you say, well, we just need to go along to get along. Why do you think the apostles were martyred? Do you think they were martyred? Do you think first century Christians were martyred because they got along with the Romans so well? I'm going to tell you why they were martyred. They were martyred because they stood against the grain. They were martyred because they stood against the current. I don't really care what the current of this world is sowing upstream. I've come to tell you right now. I'm going to stand for Jesus. I'm going to stand for his government. I'm going to stand on his word. Well, pa- Pastor, uh, Pastor, we, got, we, just, we we got to be really careful. You know... Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be careful how I say this, but we were going through all the stuff we were in 2020, and I had a couple of our young ministers in with me. We were just trying to get through some things, and we're talking hard about you know what's our next step. What are we going to do? And preachers were standing up in their pulpits saying, "We need we need churches that will come into alignment with the government. We need churches that will." Come into alignment with what they're saying and, and, and how, how they're telling us to do. And I'm like, what is wrong with us? Now listen, I, I'm, I'm quoting scripture to you today. The prophet said that if you, if you sow to the wind, that you reap the whirlwind. That's not Pentecostal rhetoric. That's in your Bible. But I want to tell you that when American pastors started saying that church was not essential. And they started shooting their little home video, little devotional, whatever you want to call it, from their vacation house on the beach in Florida. And they were saying, church is not essential, but just go ahead and send your tithes and tune in here, and I'll give you this little dip. But then they come home, and everything starts easing up, and they start griping at people about not coming to church. They sowed to the wind, and they're going to reap the whirlwind. When you tell people for 12 months that church is not essential, don't expect them to think it's essential when you start saying it is again. Well, that went, that went over like a piece of Velcro to zipper convention. I'm telling you right now, the longer we live in this world, the more I realize this is not my home. I don't, I don't fit in here. There's something about this place that just don't feel. I told my wife the other night, we're driving down the road, and, and there's signs everywhere. Help wanted, help needed, help wanted. This is not, it is lazy people, but it's it's this society. And I told her, I said, it just feels weird here to me. It feels different than it's ever felt to me. I've heard about the coming of the Lord my whole life but it feels different right now there's something in the atmosphere and I'm telling you I believe that God has sent some things to the apostolic church that have been knocking on our door and we've come to the door with our busy lives and said we don't know we don't have time for that and we don't have room for that but I'm preaching to the church in America today if only you knew what God was trying to do in us right now you would open up the door and say, I'm going to let that in. This is, this is the value of, of understanding faith that you've got to carry things through ridicule and you've got to carry it through persecution and you got to give yourself to it. you got to be committed that when the word comes forth there, there's like, you, you're not, you're not putting any prerequisites out there saying now. Put your seatbelts on for this But you're not putting prerequisites out there that says Okay, God, I'll do it if you'll do this That's how how we do God, if you really want me to do that Then you'll do this, 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 and this Isn't that something? When the devil speaks to you one time You believe it But when God speaks to you you got to have four or five prophets Confirm that it was the word of God I want to tell you that God doesn't have to confirm with me 49 times that he's going to do it if God says it that means he believes in me and he believes that I can take it and he believes that I'm going to make it through that God's not putting you in this for you to fail God's not putting you in this for you to crash and burn I believe that God has postured his church right now in a place that he knows we're going to thrive we're not just going to exist we're not just going to get by i don't know what kind of picture you've got painted but i don't plan on walking through gates of pearl and walls of jasper bleeding with bandages on and limping in and walking in in crutches i'm coming in rejoicing because we've brought in the sheaves i'm coming in rejoicing because we've had revival If you believe he's coming back for less of a church than what he left, you've missed the will of God. He's coming back for a church that is full of power and full of boldness and full of victory. I'm tired of the devil lying to you and telling you, you can't do it. I'm preaching this morning. You can do it. You can make it. You're going to survive the storm. I feel my helping here. Tell me I'm lying today when I tell you that there has been a spirit of discouragement trying to grip the hearts of people like I've never seen. You're trying harder than you've ever tried and you can't make headway. Come on now. You're like, man, why am I pushing so hard? And this is the spirit that gets on you. Why am I trying so hard if I'm just going to keep losing traction? You know when I was young, until I was about 15 years old, I was, I was, man I was short. Until I was like 15 years old, I was 5'3". And from, from 15 to 16, I went from 5'3 to 6 foot in a year. Now you gotta understand at 5'3 I still like to play ball as much as I did when I was 6 foot. And we'd go play ball, and everybody thought it was funny that Shorty was going to lead point guard. And so there's something that gets on you. I'm probably going to offend somebody when I say this. We just call it Chihuahua Syndrome. (laughs) But you got a chip on your shoulder, you know? And my dad taught me this little thing when I was a boy because my dad's so big and tall. He taught me this deal. He said, look, you may not be able to whoop everybody that tries. You you may not whoop everybody that that tries to get a hold of you. But son, if they're going to grab hold, they better at least know you've been there. (laughs) I think they did. If they're going to jump on, you, you at least make sure they know. They knocked on the wrong door today. And if it happens to be too bad, have good friends, you know? Amen. Thank God for that. Understand what I'm telling you right now. I've walked into fights, and I'm not talking about swinging dukes. I've walked into fights in my life that I wondered if I could really make it. And while I was in the process of what I was going through, I would, I would say to God, I feel like I'm losing my mind. Come on, I'm going to be real with you this morning. I've been in those seasons where I say, God, I don't know, if, I don't think I can survive this. I'm weary and I'm tired, and, my, and 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 my flesh is saying, God, I don't, I don't think I can do this anymore. I don't think I, I don't think I can survive this storm. But when you come through that and you realize how powerful his grace has been. There's something at some point in your life that's going to rise up within you. That says I'm not just here to let the devil know that I was here. But I've already been predestined to victory. The devil is not just going to leave me with a black eye. The principality of this city is not just going to walk away from me limping. You listen to what I'm telling you. By the time God is done with what's going on in your life, that devil that's been driving you insane is not just leaving injured. That devil's going to leave defeated. It's time we stop begging God to help us get through and start thanking God that we are overcomers and we are more than conquerors and we are mighty. Oh, I wish somebody would hear me this morning. I said, You are mighty. You are mighty. You are mighty. For some people it's probably just rhetoric And you think I'm trying to pump you up But I'm reaching for somebody that's fighting for your life this morning And I want to remind you what your Bible says That if God be for you Who can be against you It doesn't matter what the devil's trying Hang in there Keep on fighting You're going to make it You're going to make it. Look at your neighbor this morning. And I'm not talking about with some limp-wristed, weak, jelly jellyback. I'm talking about look at him, square up your eyeball, and look him right in the eye this morning and tell him you're going to make it. And so now I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to infringe on your comfort just a little bit. Because when we hear sermons like I'm preaching you right now, we start nodding our head and say, "Yeah, I thank God for pastor that don't encourage other people, but he just don't know how bad it is in my life." Woo! Where's my believers in here this morning that believe God can do it for everybody else? But when it comes to doing it for you, it's a little more tough. And so our, our spirit is well, I, I do believe. That God can do it for them because they're, they're good people. And that's really who Pastor's reaching for today. If, if he really knew everything that I was feeling right now, he, even he couldn't preach what he's preaching. Hey, look, I'm going to tell you all something this morning. If it had to do with anything with me, I'd say you're probably right. Because when we go through it, whatever it is I'm facing is the worst that it's ever been. Come on now. My mountain is always the steepest. My mountain's always the highest And my river's the widest Come on I need all you sweet godly thumbs up I mean uh, He just Pastor just lives on another planet He doesn't understand what real people feel You're right Man my, my life is awesome It is my life is so blessed. My closest friend is a dog that never says nothing back. Because I'm surrounded all the time by people that I don't like. I just, some, some guy said to me the other day, he was like, how long have you been married? I said, 21 years. He was like, well, wow, that's a long time. I said, yep, I learned a lesson. He said, what's that? I said, Open your wallet and close your mouth. <laughs> just just open the wallet. Close the mouth. I figured that out a long time ago. It, it it take Fort Knox to fix that. Listen. We can cut up and play about it. But I don't care if you think you got a perfect marriage. You're going to have tough days. You hear what I'm saying to you? I don't care if you love your job. I've had people say to me, oh, I don't. I go to work every day and I love my job. You're a lying dog. You are a liar. I haven't never, I, I mean, there's stuff I love to do, but man, there's just some days, be honest, it's a little easier to work than it is other days. Come on. There ain't nothing cherry in this world. You're going to work a little bit. I mean, Lord, I... My family and I were camping just before the weather changed, and my dad thought it'd be a good idea instead of bringing firewood to bring sequoia trunks. He said, Son, I got more firewood over there. I walk over this log. I'm like, How in the name of God you get that in your truck? So I grabbed my maul. I got an eight pound maul out there. I hit that thing on the soft ground. I'd already, already, man, I've been chopping wood for probably an hour off and on just so he can have a fire. And he burned up every stick of wood we had. <laughs> I mean, every stick of wood. I came down that eight pound mall. Boom, I hit that, that piece of wood. And when I did it, the ground was kind of soft. It was sitting on a log and it kicked it sideways. That log split, came up, busted my knuckles. I'm like, I'm over here trying to rest. I'm like, where's Brandon now? I'm like, I I need a wood cutting machine out here right now. I I walk over there, the fire, my dad goes, ooh, bud, what happened to your knuckles? It's that sequoia trunk you brought over there. I'm, I'm, I'm not complaining, understand it, I'm just being silly, but I'm telling you, even sometimes when you're trying to enjoy things, come on now. Ooh, I'm about to get four or five good Baptist nods on this. I'm talking about when you're trying to enjoy stuff. That's when your wife breaks the heel on her high heels. Come on, that's when your daughter's hair barrette breaks. I was talking to a pastor sometime this year, recently, on the phone. And he said... Bro, I had this family in my church. He said, we had to quit announcing when we were going out of town or whatever. He said, every single time, the day that I was leaving town, when we got in the car to leave, I'd get a call that that man was going to the hospital by ambulance. Without fail, every time. We'd leave for vacation. Phone ring. I'd look at my wife and say, guess who's going to the hospital? Guarantee it. Answer the phone. Uh, uh, yeah, we're taking Billy Bob over here to the hospital. Oh, okay. You're going to fight in your life. If you're ever going to get anything accomplished, you're going to have some struggles. And you're going to have some tragedies, perhaps. And you're, you're going to go through some stuff where there's some, some dark storm clouds hanging over your head. But I have come on this Sunday morning to tell somebody in this room. I, I got up early this morning with you on my mind. And I'm here on this Sunday morning to tell somebody, I've never met a storm that lasts forever. I've never seen a cloud that doesn't disappear at some point in your life. I know it's difficult. I know it's a struggle. And I know you feel like you're climbing up the rough side of the mountain. But if I can encourage you at all this morning, get a hold of something that's solid and just hold on till God finishes the work. I'm really not lost. I know where I'm going. I'm trying to get somebody to believe what I'm telling you this morning. God is for me. I dare you to say it. God is for me. You believe what you just said? That, that was almost convincing. I said, do you believe what you said? God is for me. God is with me. God is not against me. Then why is he letting it happen? I said God is not against me. God is for me. Then why hasn't God healed me? God is for you. There's some things I'm never going to have answers to in life. Brother Stephen was teaching so beautifully this morning about some getting healed and some not. And I'll be honest with you. After 25 years of full-time ministry, I've probably prayed for more that haven't than ones that have. I wish I had a good faith story right now to tell you that I, I, just the mere passing of my shadow, people pass out like Benny Hinn, blew breath on them. <laughs> Man, I've walked out of rooms crying, weeping bitter tears because I pleaded with God. Woo. I'm telling you, your pastor just lives on a different level. We don't have hurts. We don't have pains. We just speak in tongues all the time. I've walked out of them hospital rooms saying, God, I still believe. Tears dripping off my face. God, I still believe. I've walked out of courtrooms when I felt like the judge didn't rule right, but I wasn't the judge. Come on. Can I be real with you this morning? Sometimes... You love with a broken heart. Mm. Sometimes you smile when it's only surface level. But there is a God that has seen every tear that you've cried into your pillow at night. When there's nobody else sits around and you don't think there's anybody. That understands, Pastor, I've never been in the fire like this, but you got to understand that the fourth man is still in the fire. He's still where you are, he's still waiting on you. And so this woman and her husband have thought they've put their toughest days behind them. She said yes to God, and Joseph said yes to her and yes to the Lord. When the angel came to him and said, this is not what it looks like, Joe. You just got to trust me. You got to trust God, that which is conceived in her. This of the Holy Ghost. We can say a lot about Mary. I'm going to tell you, Joe was a good man. That's a good man right there. (laughs) You have that conversation, sweetheart. You're probably not going to understand what I'm about to tell you. But an angel showed up and told me I was pregnant. Huh. Does that angel work down there at the market? No, you, uh. You don't understand, Joseph. He said, yes, I do. Because the Lord visited me. And I believe in what God's doing in you. I'm not going to fight you over what God is doing in you. I'm going to stand by you. Man, we need some partners that will do that. I'm going to stand by you. Because God's doing it in you. I'm going to be your partner in faith because God is doing this in you. So about the time, about the time, they finally lock in and say, okay, we're going to do this. God's going to help us. Elizabeth encouraged me. Joseph's standing by me. Now what are we going to do? Joe walks in one day and he says, sweetheart, I hate to tell you. But you're not going to believe what happened. The government got involved. We got to go pay taxes. And they won't let me send it by air or by mail. I was raised in Bethlehem. And I got to go to Bethlehem. But you're about to have this baby and I'm not going to leave you behind. She said, do I look like I'm fit to travel? <laughs> Joseph, you're not, you're not making any sense. But the prophet Micah Say, get ready, because when deliverance comes, he's coming to Bethlehem. She's in the middle of a census that makes no sense. I'm obeying God, and now I've got to go through a taxing season? Yes, you do. Because it's all part of the process. So what are you going to do? You're going to get on that donkey, and you're going to get as comfortable as you can And you're going to make your way to Bethlehem. And when you feel like you're getting close and you're finally going to get to rest, I got another surprise for you. The sun's going to set. And the night's going to start getting cool. But your husband's not the only Bethlehemite that's got to come pay his taxes. And this town is full. (laughs) There is absolutely no way. No way that if she would have known. You can believe whatever you want to. I got the microphone. There's no way you can believe that if she would have known that when she left with Joseph that day, that she was going to have to have that baby in a pasture with a bunch of sheep and take that newborn baby and lay it in a manger, that she would have said yes to that in her right mind. I believe she was praying, God, not now. This ain't the time, and this ain't the place. God, I can't do this now. There's no place for us to stay, but Micah 5 and 2 said, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. I want to tell you that there's something so interesting about Micah that he prophesied in 4 and 8. It's in your Bible. It's hard to understand the fullness of it. I don't have time to go into the depths of it. I got to get you out of here today. I'm going to get where I'm going. But in Micah 4 and 8, he said, And thou, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come. Even the first dominion, the kingdom, shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. In the Hebrew, this, this... Phrase the Tower of the Flock is McDowell Ader. It's in your Bible. It's very interesting. The Tower of the Flock was the place just outside of Bethlehem, where all of the sheep that had to be slain for the sacrifice that, when they were to be brought to the high priest, it had to be in Bethlehem. This is where the priesthood was sent to Bethlehem. To a place that was called the Tower of the Flock. It's in your Bible. It's interesting. Nobody ever talks about this. But the Tower of the Flock was the place that the priesthood would stand up on this tower. And they would look across the field. And whenever they would see a mother lamb go in to labor. They would come down out of that tower. And they would go to that that lamb until she would give birth. And they would take that lamb from her. And they would wrap it up in the old clothing of the priesthood, the old garments of the priesthood. They would wrap it in what they called swaddling clothes because it was imperative to them that that lamb not fall to the ground and break its leg, that it fall to the ground and become wounded because only the spotless lamb could be taken to the priesthood. So these shepherds that were at the the, the tower of the flock, they weren't just your normal casual shepherds. These were men that worked in the priesthood. They were Levites that were watching the lambs and being certain that the lamb was spotless and that the lamb was okay. Now this is so interesting to me. That of all the places that Micah said that this deliverer was going to come. He was going to come from Bethlehem. And could it be? That that night at the tower of the flock where all of the lambs that were going to be sacrificed in Jerusalem were being watched and being born. That Mary sat down with who John called the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Could you imagine with me this morning, imagine with me that the swaddling clothes that she put that baby in, could it be that the spotless lamb that was born that night in Bethlehem, that the first in swaddling clothes was the garments of the priesthood could it be that our high priest who was touched by the feeling of our infirmity was wrapped in swaddling clothes that night could it be could it be that God has a plan you just don't understand Now, I'd love to go back and preach to that guy at the door and say, if you only knew, you'd let him in. But I also want to preach to Mary and Joseph. When the door is slammed in their face and she looks at him with tears in her eyes and says, babe, we've got nowhere to go. Disappointment comes on her. They walk away from the porch of that house disappointed. I'm here to preach to somebody that's walked away from some closed doors and you've been disappointed about it. You walk away and say, God, I guess I guess you're just not going to make a way. And I want to scream into that story and say, Mary, if only you knew that God is about to bring to pass prophecies of old and he's going to use you to do it. But if you can just endure the nightmare, what you don't understand, sweetheart, is you're just a few steps away from a heavenly host coming down and visiting you, saying peace on earth and glory to God in the highest, peace and goodwill to all men. Can I tell you? Listen to this. Because they faced disappointment but kept on trusting God, there was a supernatural encounter That happened that night that affected you and I. There was peace and goodwill on earth that night because they endured the nightmare. I'm here to preach to somebody that feels like you're in the middle of a nightmare this morning and tell you, if you can just endure, there is a supernatural encounter that's about to happen in your life that I believe is going to affect those that are down the road. You've got to hang on. If only you knew what God was doing in you. only you knew, if only you knew, because the power, and I'm closing today, but the power of what I'm preaching to you is so amazing. i talked about this the last couple of years, but at that tower of the flock when the lamb was born, there was a, a, an old-fashioned way of tracking that the mother lamb would have a sign around its neck with a family name on it. So when the baby lamb that was going to be sacrificed was born, they would take a sign and would hang it around the neck of that lamb, and they would put the family name on the lamb to be certain that my sacrifice doesn't get mixed up with your sacrifice. It was an old-fashioned way that they would track. They would put the family name on the lamb. But with a little study, you start to wonder about some significance. We all know that Jesus Christ was born to die. We know that he was born with purpose, that he lived with purpose, that he died with purpose. But I want to tell you something that's extremely interesting to me. And you get in the scripture and you start reading, I've preached this through the years, but it never ceases to amaze me. In John the 19th chapter, The Bible said that when Jesus was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Refused to open his mouth. When he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. They took him before Pilate. And in John 19 and 19. The Bible said that Pilate. Takes a sign. And he writes on the sign in 19 and 19. Jesus of Nazareth. King of the Jews. Verse 20 said, this title then read many of the Jews. For the place where Jesus was crucified was by the city. And notice this, it was written in three languages, what your Bible said. Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. So the chief priests come to the Jews, uh, of the Jews come to Pilate, and they requested him, they said, please don't write that. Do, Do not write that, the king of the Jews. But write rather that he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate, not even knowing that he was being used of God, said, what I have written, I have written. But I want you to understand, in artistic expression, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, whenever you see it painted, you'll see the sign, four Latin letters. Whenever you see that, you see four Latin letters. It's I-N-R-I. Aesis Nazarenus Rex Iudearum. According to John 19 Latin was not the only language That the sign was written in We just read it, it was Latin It was Greek, it was Hebrew Why did the chief priest Have such a problem With what he wrote And I believe the answer is found That whenever Pilate wrote On that sign In Hebrew Jesus, King of the Jews. The four letters that would have been written there in Hebrew would come from Yeshua HaNatsri Ha HaYehudim. The first four letters, Y-H-V-H. Is yad Vodhe. Or as we would say it in English from the Old Testament Bible, Yahweh. The Jews walked up to that cross and they saw a family name hanging on the lamb. And the name that was hanging there in Hebrew said this is Yahweh. We don't want you to say that this is Yahweh. We want you to say that he said he was Yahweh. And Pilate said what I have written, Pilate, if only you knew, sir, if only you knew, you have written on the family name of this lamb, that this is not just any lamb, but this is the lamb of God. I want to tell you this morning that God did not send a substitute lamb, but God robed himself in flesh. He dwelt among us. He gave his life If only you knew this morning What it really was that happened that day That's the reason he came He didn't come to be born He was born to die He said God I'm facing a mountain that I don't have the strength to climb And if you don't step in I don't know how I'm going to make it this is not a common altar call. I'm not just here today to be like, okay, these altars rub. Listen, I'm here for somebody that's desperate to touch God. The Music's going to come. I want us this morning, if we could, all across this place to just close our eyes. If you're in this room right now and the pastor's preaching to you, I just want you to lift your hand and say, Pastor, I need the Lord to touch me. That's all right. Thank you. So right now, what we're going to do is we're going to make that decision that I was talking about When I took the pulpit, somebody's going to make a decision right now. It's going to forever change the course of your destiny. This is not hyperbole. I'm not just here to hype you up. I'm here to reach for somebody today that will say, Lord, I'm giving this battle to you. And you're going to walk to this altar today and you're going to say, God, I thank you for every closed door that's been slammed in my face. I thank you for every census that I didn't understand. I thank you for every prayer you have not answered. I thank you today for every heartbreak that I've had, for every mountain I've had to climb because God, it's created in me what you're doing to me right now. Come on, don't you worry about what people think of you. Nobody's judging you right now. Nobody's watching you right now. God I'm just desperate for you to touch my heart. God. I'm desperate for you to work. I feel your presence here, Lord. I ask you in the name of Jesus that you would reach down in this room right now, God, and with your mighty hand that you would touch those that have come forward today. I pray, God, for those that are hanging the balance that don't even feel like they have the courage to come forward today, that you would... Give them the strength right now to just step out by faith and say, okay, God, whatever you say, come on, don't worry about what others are going to say about you right now. You're standing in a moment, I believe, of divine intersection where God has brought you to this place today. You don't have to leave here like you came. You don't have to leave here like you came.